At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. In a polite and southern context, religion and politics are to be kept to yourself. You are not supposed to talk about politics and religion because when we talk about politics, when we talk about religion, it leads to uh, conflict. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you before. If you're you know, alive and a human and breathing air, this has likely happened to you. Uh, you maybe were at a, a party, maybe at a family gathering, uh, and you know uh, some political statement was made about this particular party or this particular policy or this particular candidate, uh, and it was just like someone you know pulled the pin and tossed a grenade right in the middle. Politics and religion can cause uh, conflict, and it is because we are so passionate about these two issues. It, it, it results in this divide. Now, if you are honest. Uh, and, and if you're anything like me, when I find myself in a conversation about politics, I think that any rational person with half a brain will come to believe the same things I believe about politics. <laughs> and the problem is, everybody thinks that way. And, and so th- this is why it can cause uh, so many problems, is, is because you think, you know, that you're right, and the other person is is wrong. And so Uh, It it can cause a lot of issues. So like I said, we're not supposed to talk about it, but you're at church, and so the religious part, uh, you know we're going to be talking about religion today because we're at church, but you're welcome. We're also going to be talking about politics, okay? The two issues that have divided family, friends, marriages, and churches we are going to dive headlong into today because Jesus talks about it, we will talk about it. Everyone knows that our political climate has changed. Now, when I was growing up in school, um, we began the day with two things. One, we began the day uh, by saying the Pledge of Allegiance, which we said one nation under God. Okay, every, they, they made everybody stand up. You had to hand over the heart, the whole thing. And then the teacher or the principal would pray, and they would conclude that prayer in Jesus' name. Now, as I continued on, um, I was in school when that shift happened to when it became optional. There was no longer required that they didn't make people stand and say the pledge so that they wouldn't offend anyone by saying uh, one nation under God. And uh, prayer was removed, and it was uh, a time of silent reflection. Uh, And and so we, we saw this shift happen in the, in, 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 in the world at that time. In addition, when I was growing up in school, uh, the principal had a paddle in his office, and he used it. And so we, <laughs> we, we saw this shift take place to where, you know, paddling, like, that, that was right out. 
You didn't have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. If prayer was was kind of not allowed in school anymore, and and you know if if two kids got in a fight, you know at school, used to what they would do is the teachers would sit down and figure out if the kid deserved it, you know, and and if and if one kid had punched a bully in the nose, they gave that kid a sucker and sent him back to class. Um, but but now, like you know, in any type of violence, any anything like that that goes on, both kids are punished and and sometimes arrested and and sent to jail. Um, so, so things have changed. There, there's no question uh, about the fact that that things have changed. That the culture is no longer continued to vote along traditional lines. Society has shifted, and therefore the political climate has shifted. You see, divorce for no reason and abortion were once illegal, but now we begin to see them as rights. Children born out of wedlock were once rare, but now have become the norm. Pornography and other graphic images were once against the law, but now they are visible for all eyes to see on every magazine rack in a grocery store. What was once illegal to say on TV, radio, and film began to be repeated with great frequency. The truth is we live in a day where it is more socially and therefore politically acceptable for a man to have a husband than for a man to pray in public in the name of Jesus. This is where we are. This is, this is the climate. And so many Christians are wondering what happened. Well, we can't really dive into that too much because that gets us into a long and protracted history lesson about the ramifications of the 60s and the 70s, which led to the, the 80s of you know, great excess and, and so on and so forth. But, but what we can talk about is what we do now what we do now. As we face these political issues and hundreds more just like it, how are we as Christians supposed to engage in politics? Are we supposed to engage in politics? And as a church, as, as gospel community church, how do we respond um, in a very turbulent, very turbulent uh, political atmosphere? I do not need to tell you how important this issue is. Friends, we live in a country where people are literally rioting in the streets over social injustice issues. So, so let me tell you, this is very, very important what we are discussing this morning. Listen, friends, this is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue, what we are discussing this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to roll through this text today. Uh, where Jesus um, is is meeting on this political and religious scale, uh, he has this this saying that many of us are familiar with, right? We we all are familiar with, you know, render to Caesar what's it. We all know this saying, but we're gonna walk through this text, and then I, I hope that we can gain some very practical um, wisdom and knowledge as we move forward into our very treacherous political waters that we face today. Okay. Is that okay? All right. Mark 12, we're going to jump in at verse 13. Mark 12, verse 13. Go ahead and get this text out in front of you, whether it be in a Bible or on your smartphone. Follow along with me as I go so you can make sure I'm not making it up. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them 
or should we not? Back at verse 12, I mean, I'm sorry, back at verse 13, and they sent to him, they, who is the they in verse 13? Well, we're not clearly told from the text. We're going to assume it's the they that we have been dealing with thus far um, as Jesus has uh, come up against these opponents. The, the opponents uh, are seemingly coming from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling council over Jerusalem, and they've been putting together the, these little cohorts, these little groups to go to Jesus and to challenge him uh, to, to try to discredit him, to try to get him killed. They, they see that Jesus is, is robbing them of their fame. Jesus is robbing them of their authority. Everybody is clamoring around Jesus and not them. And so they're very jealous of him. They want to discredit him, possibly kill him. And so what they're doing is they're sending these little delegations from the Sanhedrin to ask him questions. Okay, so and they, that is the Sanhedrin, sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Now, if you are familiar with first century Palestinian politics, uh, which, you know, all of us are, you'll know that these are very strange bedfellows. Okay, so you've got this group, the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees are very nationalistic. They are very conservative. These are the Bible guys. These are the follow the rule guys. Okay, then you have the Herodians, the second group. The Herodians were the people who supported a king called Herod. That's why they're called the Herodians. Now, this Herod was set up as a puppet king over the Israelites, and he worked with Rome. So they are pro-Rome. Rome is occupying Israel at this time. So you've got the Pharisees, anti-Rome, very conservative, don't want any outsiders there. And then you have the Herodians kind of pro-Rome, working with the Roman government. I mean, th this is this is like sending a group of people who would like to make America great again and another group of people who are feeling the burn, okay? <laughs> These two groups don't seemingly fit together, but, but they are put together, and, and they, they, it's, it's because they have a common enemy, and, and this common enemy they found in Jesus has brought them to, together to work together, even though they don't land anywhere close uh, on the same issues, Okay? And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. If, you, if you've been traveling with us through this last little section, you've seen them again and again come at Jesus with their questions, trying to trap him, trying to discredit him. Now, look at, look at how they begin. It is, it is preposterous. It is insane. Watch what, they, watch what they do. And they came to him and said, teacher. We know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Really? I mean, like Jesus isn't going to see through this. Like, like Jesus is so dumb, he can't see that they are trying to leverage flattery. I mean, it is so, it's blatant. I mean, we, we just, we're just reading it out loud, but I mean, you can imagine the tone of their voice and everything. I mean, just the swagger that they would have had approaching him. And it, and it shows the depth of ignorance and arrogance inherent in humanity. 
the, the depth of ignorance. I mean, they've tried to catch him. They've tried to trap him so many times now, but Jesus just continues to do his uh, verbal judo moves on them. You know, judo is, is like, you know, when somebody, like you'll see the guy, they come running at him and he just kind of, he uses their momentum and flips them over. That's what Jesus has done repeatedly. They have come at him and he has used their own momentum against them to, to, to tear them. They, they've come to put him on the horns of a dilemma and, and trap him, but he ends up trapping them. And, and so it's, it's insanity. It's, uh, it's ignorant to believe that they can best Jesus. Not only is it ignorant, but it's totally arrogant. It's, it's arrogant um, to, to believe that they are smart enough to outwit Jesus, right? The, the creator of the universe, God in flesh. Here they are to outwit him. Yeah, good luck. I hope you brought a lunch. You are not swayed by appearances. They go on. The astonishing thing about everything that they say is that it is an attempt at flattery, but it is absolutely true. So whether they mean it or not, they're just, you know, they're just trying to butter him up. But, but everything that they say, teacher, we know that you are true and that you not care about anyone's opinion. No, he doesn't. <laughs> That's absolutely true. For you are not swayed by appearances. He, he was so unimpressed at the fancy robes the Pharisees walked up in. He was so unimpressed at the wealth and the riches that the Herodians had. He is so unimpressed and unswayed by that. And how he answers has nothing to do with what these guys are, who they are, their, their talent, their title, or anything. But truly teach the way of God. Absolutely, that is what Jesus does. He truly teaches the way of God. Now the question, here they go. They've worked on this question they, 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 I mean, they have crafted it. They, I mean, they, they have loaded, you know, the gun. They are ready to shoot. And here they go. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, um, is uh, taxes and finances uh, in our, our political system a contentious and volatile issue? <laughs> yes, as it was as it was in their day. A little bit of historical context about this particular tax. Just like in our day, taxes was a very volatile issue. This tax uh, that is referred to here, this tax that was paid to Caesar, was to be paid by Jewish adult males, and they had to pay it directly to Rome. Again, remember, Rome is the occupying force. They have to pay their occupiers a tax. So do you think that they're excited about paying this tax? No, they're not. So this is a big reason for them to hate this tax, and this is kind of a, a push at Jesus to agree with the vast majority of people and say, no, to heck with Caesar, we shouldn't pay this tax. The amount of this tax was a denarius, which was roughly a day's wage. This would have been a silver coin. Listen, this silver coin said Tiberius Caesar was the son of the divine. So on the face of the coin, it said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. On the reverse side of this coin, it bore the inscription, Pontifex Maximus, meaning the high priest. Tiberius is saying that he is the son of the divine and the high priest. So you can also see uh, the people were not excited, these deeply religious Jewish people 
were not excited about this pagan coin. So they weren't excited that they had to pay the tax to their occupier. In addition, this was a clearly pagan coin that they wanted nothing to do with. So you can see that this is yet another gotcha question. Okay, so let's walk through the, 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 the implications here. If Jesus says, no, they're an occupying force and it's a pagan coin from a pagan ruler doing terrible things to our people, no, we shouldn't pay the tax, okay? What will happen? Well, the Herodians, they will go back and tell Herod, Herod will tell the Roman government, and Jesus will be arrested and killed as an insurrectionist. But if he says, yes, yes, pay the tax, then the people, the Israelite people, whom he, he has, he's this great figure, this great leader, they will revolt against him because they don't like Rome. Again, remember, Jesus has been going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Think about that. Jesus has been going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom. Now, for, for us, us, you know, very smart, astute theological students, we understand that the kingdom of God is wherever God rules over the hearts of men. But they were thinking kingdom as in literal kingdom with an actual throne there in Jerusalem. Jesus was going to, you know, uh, rout the Romans with the sword and come and sit on his throne, and that would be the kingdom. That's what they were thinking. And so for Jesus to say that they should pay tax to Rome discredits him. So here are Jesus' options. Be discredited in front of the people or die at the hands of Rome. Okay, so should we pay taxes, right? They pull the pin, throw the grenade, <laughs> and, and the, the options are be discredited in front of all of your followers or be killed by the Roman government. That's what this question does. That's what this question does. Verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus knows the hearts of men. He sees through all of our hypocrisy. He sees through all of our fancy dress and, and all of the show that we put on. Jesus can see straight through our hypocrisy, straight into our weak and feeble heart. He, he, Jesus wasn't there to play games with them. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Why, why, why do you keep doing this? Is, is essentially what Jesus is saying. Really, guys, again, we're, we're doing this again? Jesus went into the desert, into the wilderness, and was tempted, tested by Satan himself and came out on the winning side. Do you think these guys even hold a candle to that? Why are, why are you putting me to the test? Really, guys, you, you, think this, you think this is a good idea? You think this is going to go well for you? I, I have a, I have a five-year-old who is a climber. Okay? She climbs on everything. She, you know, she climbs up on the counters and on top of the refrigerator, and, and I'll see her like start to climb stuff, and I'll look at her and go, Lydia, is that a good idea? Right? You, you, think, you think this is going to end well? That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. Now, I've preached this text several times before, but this occurred to me this week. When he says to them, 
bring me a denarius, and they do, the game's already over. (laughs) Because by the fact that they had the coin already says what their position is. By virtue of using Roman money, they've entered into the Roman monetary system. So they've made their decision. And, and it, that just exploded off of the page to, to me this week. I, I always just run by it because, you know, we're trying to get to render to Caesar what Caesar's. But, but how brilliant was that move in that intense political religious setting as they go, should we pay the tax or not? And he goes, hey, you guys got a coin? They, oh, yeah, here's one. Oh, so you have a coin. You, you have a coin? Okay, you've got a, they have a coin. <laughs> Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, this is shocking. It, it's not so shocking to us because we're familiar with it. We've heard it a hundred times. If you grew up in, in the church, you're familiar with this render to Caesar what Caesar's and the God what's God's. Here's what is so shocking to me about it. He says, pay to Caesar what he's worth or what he is owed. Who's, who's on the coin? Well, if Caesar's on the coin, that's his coin go ahead and and pay him. This is shocking because Jesus just gave the okay to use a pagan coin to pay a blasphemous ruler. Why why is that okay? How how can Jesus sign his name to the bottom of this? It's, It's a pagan coin which declares that someone other than himself is God, On the reverse side, it says that he's the high priest when Jesus is clearly the high priest. And he's paying it to this government, which is oppressing his people and occupying their territory, doing this evil thing. How can Jesus say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's? This is is shocking. Why is this okay? He is saying, pay the tax that pays the very salary of the guys who are going to drive nails into my hand. Think about that. Now, he can say this not because the Roman government was right, but because God is sovereign over the Roman government. That's how Jesus can say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. The only reason Caesar is in leadership position is because God had placed him there. So, so, so Jesus can say, sure, pay them what he's worth. Again, there's, there's this thing called the, the Pax Romana or, or the, the peace of Rome, right? So, so Rome did come in and occupy, but they built roads. Um, they, they instituted these great government systems that helped, you know, these towns flourish. So, so they had peace, they had roads, they had money. There was all these good things that came with it. And so Jesus is saying, sure, they're, they're terrible, awful people, but they have given us these services. And so pay them what they're worth. This, this is this idea of render to or pay them what it is that they're worth. They've offered us roads. You know, they, they've, they've offered us some semblance of peace here. Um, so in, in addition, this guy's face is on this coin, and it's his coin, so give it back to him. 
is what Jesus is saying. Jesus could have left it there, but he goes further. He doesn't just say, pay taxes, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but he also says this, and to God, the things that are God's. What does that mean? Here's the main point. The main point is we are finally accountable to God. They are accountable to the government. God had set up that religious, that, that political structure, and God was in charge of it, and so they had to obey Caesar, but ultimately, they are accountable to God. So give to God what is God's. Here's the idea. If you look back at the text, he says, let me look at it, and they brought one, and he said, whose likeness or whose icon or whose face, whose image is on the coin. So, so what Jesus is saying is, when you look at that coin, the image is of Caesar, so give the coin back to Caesar because that's the image that's on there. But what image is on you? Well, the very image of God, and so we are to give our whole selves back to God. That's the idea of what Jesus is getting at. It means this, our duty to God is comprehensive. He owns all of us, therefore we should give him all of ourselves. Your coin you give back to the state, but yourself you give back to God. He was not just making a viewpoint on how Christians should handle the government. He was giving them a stinging rebuke. This is a stinging rebuke to them because they have not given themselves over to God. They've given themselves over to wealth, power, prestige. They have not given themselves over to God. And so he's rebuking them by saying, you need to give to God what is God's. And what is God's? Whatever Whatever image is on there. God's image is on you, so give your whole self to God. So when I say give your whole life to Jesus, I'm not saying that you need to shave your head, live in a monastery, and become a monk. I'm saying that everything that you do is to be for the glory of God. So so when we are to render to Caesar what's Caesar's, that means we need to be good citizens, we need to pay our taxes, we need to engage in the political system that we find ourselves in. But ultimately, we give our whole selves to God by glorifying him and everything that we do. So your marriage isn't about you. Your marriage isn't ultimately about your spouse. Your marriage is for the glory of God. Every dollar that you bring in from your paycheck ultimately isn't for you or about you. It is to be leveraged for the kingdom and the growth and expansion of the gospel, for the glory of God. Your children are to be raised in godly homes where they are taught the gospel and the scripture is poured into them because your kids are not trophies of your success, but your children are to be raised to love and follow Jesus for the glory of God. So everything that we have and all that we are, render to God what is God's. What's God's? All of us. All of what we have. Okay, that's the text. That's the text. We rolled through that quicker than I had anticipated, which I underestimated myself. Here we go. That's the text. Now what I want us to do is, based off of this, how do I navigate the treacherous political waters in 2017? <laughs> okay? So, so what Jesus just did for us is he... He doesn't, in this text, it does not answer comprehensively every question we need to know. So so from this text, we can't say, oh, when I go into the booth, choose this guy. You're not going to get that from this text. But what it does is it lays for us a foundation for us to build a Christian political worldview. Make sense? It doesn't answer all the questions, but it builds a foundation for us to set up a Christian 
political worldview. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Christians do not leave their religion out of politics. Christians do not leave their religion out of politics. And so you could look at this text and, and, and view what Jesus says in this way. Uh, Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. So here are these two, these two things, right? You keep your politics over here and you keep your religion over here and never the two should meet. Now, if that's your view of this text, you, you, you have missed it because this idea of rendering to God what is God's includes giving to him all of ourselves, which means all of our morality, which is where we should be basing our political views off of. So what that means is this rendering to God extends out to our, our views of politics. So a Christian doesn't say, okay, I'm, I'm going into the voting booth. I'm going to remove all of my religion, everything that I think and know about the Bible. I'm going to set that over here. And I'm going to step into the booth and I'm going to make this objective choice. Wrong. No, Christians do not leave their religion out of politics. Leaving our religion out of politics is against the Bible's example. Think about guys like Daniel, Joseph, John the Baptizer, John the Apostle, Simon Peter, Paul, and Jesus himself all talked about their faith in the public and political arena. So we do the same. Christianity is a holistic religion, meaning we do not separate our political views from our faith. Rather, our faith drives our political views. We see all through the light of the gospel. Again, politics and how Christians engage in politics is a gospel issue. We see everything through the lens of the gospel. So when I, when I think about policies, particular policies, when I think about particular politicians, I'm viewing that through the lens that Jesus Christ came, he lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins, that he is the great healer, he is the great rescuer. I take all of that information and I, and I funnel what I do in politics through that lens. So the truth is the Bill of Rights protects freedom of religion. It does not promote freedom from religion. This is where the political discourse, I think, kind of goes astray, right? We want to get rid of the Ten Commandments. No, no praying here. You can't do this. You can't do that. No praying in the name of Jesus. Friends, the, the Bill of Rights protects freedom of religion. It does not promote freedom from religion. I'll just read you. The First Amendment says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This is the Bill of Rights. We get to practice freedom of religion or arbitrating the freedom of speech or press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. People should be able to base their moral and therefore voting convictions on whatever they want. So I, I believe we should live in a country to where you get to base your political views on whatever you want to base them on. Now, I want the freedom to base my political views off of a Christian worldview. And I believe everyone should do that, but we can't make that a law, okay? But we should have the freedom to base our political views off of whatever we want to. So if you want to base your political views off of the Lord of the Flies or the Lord of the Rings or whatever other book you want to, that's fine. We base our political views off of the Bible, and everyone should be free to do so. So... 
What that means is, if you're taking notes, Christians should advocate for religious freedoms and for laws that restrain evil. Okay? Christians should advocate for freedom of religion. This country, in this country, you should be free to practice whatever religion you want to. And we should advocate for rules, laws, or policies um, that restrain evil. We should fight for freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. People should be able to practice whatever religion they want, and we should be for that. So they're free to, we should be free to practice Christianity, and if they, whoever wants to worship Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, Krishna, in Amer- as an American, they should be free to do so, and I should be free to share the gospel with anyone that I want to, and it not to be considered hate speech. Again, we're talking about religious freedoms here. So if, if we decide as a church that we do not want to practice or, or, or house or hold same-sex marriages, we should have the freedom to do so. And other churches, if they decide that's what they want to do, they should have the freedom to do that. But we, our freedom to say no to that should also be protected and we should vote in that way. So Christians should advocate for religious freedoms and for laws that restrain evil. We need to advocate for laws that crush and restrain evil, meaning this, abortion is evil. Listen, this this is not a political party issue. This is not a left-right issue. This is a right of of good and evil, of, of protecting the innocent, of fighting for those who cannot fight for themselves, and speaking for those who do not have a voice. And this is exactly what happens on the cross. We could not do it ourselves. We could not even speak for ourselves. We needed someone to do all the work, and we needed someone to be a mediator for us. And so voting for things that restrain evil, like I said, is a gospel issue. And so we, we vote along the lines of restraining evil. So things like abortion is evil, therefore we should fight it. Racism, murder, child abuse, pedophilia, domestic violence are all evil, and we need to work to put laws into place that will restrain such evil acts. Let me say it this way. Do you think that Jesus wants all children everywhere to get the best education that they can? Yes. Then we need to work on our broken education system in this country. Do you think that Jesus wants to see criminals turn their lives around? Yes. Yes, he does. So we need to work on our broken prison system. Do you think that Jesus wants men to provide for their families? Yes. Then we need to back a candidate who will address unemployment, etc. You can see where I'm headed with that. You see, some Christians see politics as pointless. They view it this way. Nothing ever changes. It's a total waste of time. So let's just talk about the gospel. How do we change a society? Well, we change it on an individual basis by changing people's hearts. So let's give them the gospel. Skip the rally. Don't bother casting your vote. Instead, just tell them about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. After all, if we talk about politics, then we'll forget all about the gospel. Now, if I'm honest, this was my position (laughs) For a long time. Forget all of that. It's never going to get fixed. You know, Washington's corrupt. This is ridiculous. Forget it. Let's just preach the gospel. The, the, the problem with this position, the position that I held for a long time, is that it ignores clear biblical commandments. We are to evangelize and to do good to others. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As we have opportunity, as our political system offers us opportunity to do good to other people, we should do that. 
In addition, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't that mean we advocate for laws against drunk driving, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that the loving thing to do? We are to restrain evil. Does the gospel restrain evil? Yes, absolutely. And so does civil government. We live out gospel implications as God has asked us to do. So what does that mean practically? Again, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Every Christian has the responsibility to be an informed voter. Every Christian has the responsibility to be an informed voter, meaning you've done your homework, you've investigated the policies, you know what it is that they're, that they're advocating for. That This is what a responsible Christian does. He does his homework. That is the role of the Christian. Now, what is the role of the church in politics? Thus far, we have been speaking about the individual Christian, uh, that, that they need to vote for laws and policies which restrain evil, uh, that they need to be informed voters. But what is the role of the church? Okay, so what should Gospel Community Church do um, as far as politics are concerned? First thought. The church should not align itself with a particular party or person. While the individual Christian needs to do their homework, they need to vote with their moral Christian worldview for a particular party or candidate, the church as a whole or the church itself should not, in my opinion and in my biblical conviction, promote one party or one person. Gospel Community Church is united under the banner of Jesus Christ. We are not united under the banner of Republican, under Libertarian, under Democrat. That is not the banner that Gospel Community Church is united under. We are united under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I know, again, I watched it, you saw it. There were many evangelical Christian leaders who got on different bandwagons and backed different candidates, and I think that's a mistake. So, I will never from this stage tell you this is who you should vote for, this is what political party you should be behind. I don't think that is the place of the church as a whole. Again, the church should not do this. Again, let me be very, very clear. Listen to me on this, jot this down. Jesus does not have a political party allegiance. Period, paragraph. Jesus does not have a political party allegiance. He is only and mainly advocate for his kingdom. So listen, let, just hear me, Gospel Community Church. Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Libertarian. Uh, Jesus is not a member of the Tea Party, the Green Party, or anything else. Jesus is an advocate for only and mainly his kingdom. Uh, Jesus is for a theocracy, okay? Uh, him king and everyone subject to him. That is Jesus' political system. So, so to try to take Jesus and, and stuff him in our political system simply doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. And so when people try to do that, it drives me insane, okay? So let me say again, Jesus is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat, a Libertarian. Jesus is not a socialist. Jesus is not a member of the Tea Party or the Green Party or anything like that. Jot this down. The goal of the church should be to teach biblical principles that will inform political positions, this is what the church should do. This is what Gospel Community Church should be about. 
teaching people the Bible. Let, let's, let's get this in here, in, in, in our hearts and in our minds, and then that is what helps us decide what to do on the political scene. It, it helps us to discern um, which policies to back, which people to back, when to step away, when to step in. It is God's word planted deeply in our hearts and our minds that enables us to do so. Now, that does not mean that the church is not politically active. We are just politically active in a very different way. Here is what I mean, if you're taking notes. The church should teach its people to be good citizens. So the church does not back a particular party or a particular candidate. The goal of the church is to teach biblical principles to its people so they can be informed voters. But the church is involved politically by teaching its people to be good citizens. Listen to Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So, so when the results of the election you know, came out, we should not have been losing our minds because God is still in control. So whether you are for or against, whether you're on the right side or the left side, cool out, God's still in control. The only people who have power have power because God gave it to them. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Listen, this is an amazing thing for the Apostle Paul to say, writing from Rome, the, the government that was slaughtering Christians, persecuting Christians, Paul says, obey them. In a Roman, this, this Roman government was certainly not pro-Christian. Let me just say, they had it way worse than we do. And he is still telling us to obey. Here he tells us what to do and the why to do it. What? Obey the government. Why? Because God instituted it. The authority that they have is from God. See, government is good and it is made to reflect God's authority. Just because there is corruption in the government does not mean that it is not under God's sovereign rule. He can use evil people and evil governments to do his work. He's been doing it all throughout history. So, so in that moment, when they ask him, do, you know, what do we do with this coin? Jesus doesn't say, well, don't give it to, him. Don't give it to that guy because he's corrupt. Don't give it to that government because it's evil. No, that, that, that's not the position that, that Jesus takes. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14 says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This means for us we are to obey the law and pay our taxes. Now, some of you are thinking, what if I'm asked to do something contrary to my faith? Well, again, render to God what is God's. Jesus is ultimately your king, our duty uh, to earthly authority is limited. In Acts 4.19, uh, the apostles are told not to go out and preach the gospel by the government, and guess what they do? They go out and they preach the gospel. So there is a way for us to practice holy and sanctified civil disobedience. Ultimately, we are not ultimately responsible to the government. We are ultimately responsible to God, and so we must leave room in our lives um, and in our way of thinking for civil disobedient. We obey the state, but we don't worship the state. Again, as a pastor, if I am told that the gospel is hate speech and if you preach it, you will go to jail, 
on that day, I hope I have the courage to do so. Last note, the church should teach Christians not to be rude or arrogant when expressing their political positions. Again, I want us to see that there can be true and real Christians on both sides of the aisle. I know that sounds shocking to some of you, but there are people who genuinely love Jesus and are voting with biblical convictions on both sides of the aisle. I know them personally. So we, we must not vilify, we must not um, intentionally stir up controversy for the sake of stirring up controversy. We must not take very complex political issues and reduce them down to silly quips. We must understand that um, our, our hearts need to be for unity, for love, that ultimately we are united in the gospel and, and we're voting with our consciences to restrain evil. Make sense? So, Christians need to not be rude or arrogant when expressing their political views. So, my, my friends, uh, you Facebook warriors and, and, you know, Twitter trolls, just remember we are believers and we must express our values and our views in a way that is coherent with the gospel. So don't, don't misrepresent people. Don't misrepresent politicians. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And all of that goes into how we even express our political views. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Okay? I'll close with this thought. The disciples were a group of people all over the political spectrum. When you, when you look at the disciples, when you look at this group, you remember there was that guy named Matthew. You guys remember what Matthew did? He was a tax collector, okay? Does that mean he was pro or against Roman government? He was pro-Roman government. He was collecting taxes from the Jews and giving it to the Roman government. In addition, in the list of the disciples, you have someone named Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a political party who were pro and for the armed revolt against the Roman government. You've got someone pro-Roman government, someone so anti-Roman government, he is ready to take up arms and kill people for it. And you have these two people, and you can imagine the rest of the disciples across the political spectrum, they're all in this group of 12 people. Not only are they in this group, but listen, this group of 12 people go on to launch Christianity all over the entire world. If you're going to get anything done, you have to have unity, right? Anybody who's ever worked on a team for five minutes understands if you're going to get anything done, you have to have unity. And so these guys were, I mean, across the board, just all over the place on the political spectrum. They were not unified politically, yet God used them in this mighty and monstrous way to launch Christianity out through the Roman Empire and out through the entire world to plant churches, to plant churches that landed us here today from this group of 12 dudes who were not politically aligned at all whatsoever. How in the world is that possible? They were united under the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let Gospel Community Church be a place where we are not united in politics, we are not united in style, we're not united in race, 
We're not united in economics. We are united under the banner of Jesus Christ. Let us be a people who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Let us be people who take the truth of God's word and implant it deeply within our hearts and go into a messed up and corrupted, broken political system and advocate for gospel change. Amen? This is our mission to to make the world a better place to make it reflect heaven before heaven comes down and is fully and completely here. Let us be a people, a gospel people, viewing all things through that gospel lens, rendering to Caesar what is Caesar, and obviously rendering to God what is God's. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for our government. We pray for the president and the vice president and his cabinet. We pray for our military leaders, and we pray for people on both sides of the aisle who are in places of power. The scripture calls us to pray for kings and authorities and all those in high places. And so, Lord, we pray now um, for them. We ask your blessing, Lord. You have blessed this country um, beyond our imagination. Uh, We look at other countries around the world. We look at other people groups and other places that are not as fortunate as we are. They do not have the freedoms that we have. And so, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We don't deserve the freedoms that we have, but as a gracious gift, you have given them to us. And so, Lord, we say thank you for our founding fathers. We thank you for um, the establishment of this great country. Lord, we pray now and ask forgiveness for the many and great sins of this country. God, we, we ask forgiveness for the sins of racism and the sins of prejudiceness and Uh, the sins of bigotry, and we ask forgiveness uh, on behalf of our country for the murdering of children for convenience sake through the method of abortion. We ask that you would forgive and that, Lord, you would send in your Holy Spirit to sweep through this nation and bring about a revival back to your great name. We need you, O Lord. Continue to lead and guide uh, our country. Continue to have your sovereign hand over it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.